When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Everybody loves Altoids, the little mints that come in tens. Well, once the mints are gone, you can do some really neat things with the leftover tens. People have made MP3 players, cameras, even stoves. Check out HowStuffWorks.com slash Tenovators to find out more. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Sitting across from me is the always likable Charles W. Chuck Bryant. How not are you? Not so, not so. Oh, it's true, Chuck. Everybody likes you. You're the most affable fella I know. I used to think so. Yeah, you, you are. Believe me, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah. Chuck's a little down today, so uh, we're going to talk about stealing nuclear bombs. Yeah, that'll perk me up. It'll brighten your day, won't it? Of course. Chuck, uh, of course, you've seen the 1985 Robert Zemeckis classic, Back to the Future. I knew you were going to bring that up. Well, you know me pretty well. I even wrote down Back to the Future in here somewhere. <laughs> We're in sync, my friend. Yes. Arguably, that was uh, that was Thomas F. Wilson's greatest role. Um, who was that? The guy who played Biff. Oh, his and, only uh, role. No, actually, I was looking at him on uh, Internet Movie Database. That uh-huh. guy has been in a lot of stuff. Really? Uh-huh. Well, he's Biff. He was also in Action Jackson. He's Biff. Did he play Biff? <laughs> no. He had a cameo as Biff. It's like Frank Oz and the Blues Brothers. Right. Um, well, if you remember, as I'm sure you do since you wrote down Back to the Future on your notes, um, there was a kind of a subplot going on with Doc and his dealings with Middle Eastern terrorists. Oh, I, I didn't remember that. I thought this was a podcast on gigawatts. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay, well, then you do remember that Doc was uh, – he was selling some plutonium to these terrorists, right? Or they wanted plutonium from him. Right. And the reason, of course, that they wanted plutonium, he kept it for the DeLorean, by the way. Of course. Okay. Uh, But the reason they wanted plutonium is because, ostensibly, they were going to manufacture a nuclear weapon. Right. And that is not outside the realm of possibilities. Scarily enough, it's not, Chuck. You know, Um, there was another movie, too. The Back to the Future 2, yeah. No. And three. <laughs> 1986, there was a movie called The Manhattan Project where a teenager steals enriched uh, uranium to make a n- atomic bomb for his science project. I remember that. John Lithgow. Yes. Bad movie. I haven't seen it, though. It wasn't bad, if I remember correctly. Well, everyone's on the edge. As you would say, that was but. right in my wheelhouse. I was 10 at the time. And right. Thinking of making my own nuclear weapons. Right. Well, yeah. right at the same time as war games, which we'll get to in a minute. Oh, we will? Yes. All <laughs> right. Oh, I see on the agenda that you have war games written down as well. This one is rife with uh, movie and TV references. So, Chuck, let's talk about stealing a nuclear weapon. Okay. Um, how easy is it? Well, 
there's a first of all we should go ahead and say it's probably impossible to steal a nuclear warhead. Okay, I'm not going to go along with that. Really? Yeah, it'd be really really difficult. It it would not be difficult. Let's say you're Iran. Okay. And uh it's 1991. Okay. And you're in contact with a bunch of KB, KGB officers or maybe some Soviet military generals. Okay. The coups just happened. There's no longer USSR. Sure. Maybe you're friends with somebody in Kazakhstan. Right. All of these people had access to strategic and tactical nuclear arms. Actually, there was a huge question over what was going to happen with the former Soviet Union's 27,000 tactical and strategic nuclear weapons when the when the Soviet Union dissolved. What happened to them? Uh, actually, there was a really good effort that was made by the former Soviet republics, like Kazakhstan um, and Ukraine and, and all of these groups that actually were already infighting with Russia. Right. Uh, and the the Russian government to move all of these nukes into Russia. Okay. And I think they did it with pretty amazing speed. Right. Uh, there were UN resolutions. There were talks between um, the U.S. and the U- and, and Russia and these former Soviet republics. Right. And everybody got their nukes back into Russian borders in Russian control. Now, see that I read a, a Reuters article when I was researching this, and that mm-hmm. is one of the scenarios they pose as. One way it could happen is during transport. That's when they're probably most vulnerable. Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. But let's say you're an Iranian official. You got the you got the money, you got the means. Mm-hmm. And not to pick on Iran here, maybe we should go with Jamaica. Sure. I don't want to tick off anyone in Iran. Right. Uh, but let's say, you know, you're a Jamaican official, you got tons of cash, and um, you want a nuke. There's a huge coup going on right. there's the dissolution of a former superpower and there's 27,000 nukes out there right. if you got the the money to to purchase one and the means of getting it out of the country and back sure. to Jamaica my friend you have a nuke yeah i guess i was thinking in terms of these days it's a lot more difficult than it would have been in 1991 how so well i think uh security has been tightened down somewhat you think since 1991 yeah you're about to shoot me down aren't you no i'm not <laughs> From what I could tell from reading up on this is that it's more likely that someone could steal the components of a nuclear weapon and right. assemble it themselves. Sure. Rather than load a you know, 30-foot bomb on the back of their truck and drive it through borders. Right, Chuck, which makes uh, people with the information in their heads of how to assemble a nuclear bomb from all these various parts or, you know, more to the point, what parts you'd need to make right. a nuclear bomb incredibly valuable. Absolutely. Have you heard of AQ Khan? I have. But I know you're the man, the con man. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Uh, well, Khan actually is the father of Pakistani uh, nuclear proliferation. Right, which is a country's program that we're pretty worried about. Yeah, well, yeah. They well, they have the bomb. India has the bomb. They do. Uh, he also was under house arrest for five years, uh, from 2004 until February 2009, uh, because he admitted to being involved in nuclear pro- proliferation, illegal Right, nuclear pro- proliferation. I can't say that. It's tough. Uh, in other countries like uh, Libya, uh-huh. Iran, uh, he was basically selling his knowledge to the highest bidder right. for their own nuclear program. Doesn't surprise me. So I mean, it, 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 it may be hard to steal. Actually, it's incredibly hard to put together a nuclear bomb. It's very hard to steal one. But if you really look at it using maybe Occam's razor or something like that, it would actually probably be the easiest thing to do. It would be to just go in and steal a nuclear bomb Easy, rather than sure. stealing the parts. Right. What's the easiest part to steal to when you want to assemble a nuclear bomb? 
Uh, well, the easiest part would be the explosive uh, mechanism, the TNT, which you need a lot of. You know, enriched uranium doesn't do much on its own. You need to explode it. Sure. As they say. And that would be the easiest part. Um, you'd have to build a casing for it, which wouldn't be super easy, but it's at least something you can manufacture yourself. And the hardest thing would probably be to get the enriched, uh, super enriched. Highly enriched uranium. Highly enriched uranium. Or, or plutonium, plutonium mm-hmm. if you could find Doc. Yeah, that that would be tough. Do you know why you would want plutonium or highly enriched uranium? What kind of bomb or why? I would say to go back to the future or to build a bomb. Yes, specifically a fission bomb. Okay. Now, what's the difference? I know you know the difference between fission and fusion. How do you know I know that? Well, I'm a smart guy. Because <laughs> I don't know, and I hope one of us does. I do. Okay. Would you like to know? Yes. Okay. So a fission bomb is where you're taking a really heavy, dense material. Uh, the nuclei are heavy. Okay. Right? Uh, the atomic weight is heavy. Gotcha. And what you're doing is you're stripping the nuclei of uh, neutrons. Okay. I'm with you. Which in turn releases more neutrons. And so on and so on, right? Okay. So you have a a chain reaction, and once it's highly sustained, it's called... Supercritical mass? Right. You've reached supercritical mass, because neutron neutron is knocking neutrons from nuclei and so on and so on and so on, and it's happening really quickly, and it releases this huge amount of energy. No going back at that point. No. And like you were saying, you need TNT to start this chain reaction. Yeah, a lot of it. And um, with with a fusion bomb, you're actually doing the opposite. You take a very light substance like hydrogen. Okay. And you take a tremendous amount of heat and, you know, from a, uh, a explosion of TNT. Right. And you smash the stuff together and that creates another very big explosion. So which one is more likely scenario for stealing one? I would imagine a fission bomb because it's the easiest to make. Okay. But the problem is, is getting highly enriched uranium or plutonium is very difficult. Exactly. Although you can find a lot of it in Russia and the U.S., right? Yeah, there's a lot of it that's um, unaccounted for, which is kind of scary. Yeah. Or left over. Did you read that thing about Robert Gates from 2008? No. He, uh, he basically came out and accused Moscow of not knowing where a lot of their plutonium and highly enriched uranium was. Well, I, I could see that, because when the Soviet Union dissolved, there was a lot of chaos and disorganization going on, right. and a lot of this excess uh, nuclear material floating around. Right. So there's no way they, they could, could account for all of it. Well, he was saying, like, we have no problem with the tactical nukes or the strategic nukes. Right. You want to know the difference between those two? Uh, sure. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, so I'm impressed. A strategic nuke. This is right up my alley. Sure. A strategic nuke is say like a long range intercontinental ballistic missile, right? Right. Um, and a, a tactical nuke would be maybe attached to a, a missile on a bomber. Okay. And, and the real distinction I read someone put it was a strategic nuke is meant to prevent war. A tactical nuke is meant to end a war uh, or win a war. Okay. Right? So you have mutual assured right, destruction. Right. Those are strategic nukes. If somebody goes in and drops a bomb on Hiroshima, that would be a tactical nuke. Right. Look yeah. at you. You're a regular Philip Oppenheimer. Oh, man. <laughs> nice. Robert Oppenheimer, by the way, for those who? of you who are paying attention, huh. was the father of the atom bomb. Not Philip. He was the director of the Manhattan Project. Right. And Philip was his brother, who was, uh, from what I understand, didn't do much with his life. No. Philip was played by John Lithgow. Okay. That's good. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. 
That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website. Whether it's an online course or custom merch, Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee, or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Uh, you want to talk about security a little bit? I do. Uh, the U.S. says whenever there's a large arsenal of weapons, they have barriers, guards, surveillance cameras, motion sensors, and, of course, background checks. Seem like enough to you? No, because that Reuters article I read was talking about the other scenario I talked about besides being uh, uh, hijacked in transport mm-hmm. was that potentially a Taliban or al-Qaeda member could gain employment at a, at a nuclear uh, facility. Mm-hmm. Despite background checks, sure. Well, very few of them have like member of Taliban, you know, two thousand two right. to present. And you wouldn't think resume. that someone could get in there, but you also wouldn't think that someone could take lessons on how to fly a plane uh, here in the United States and sure. fly them into buildings. That didn't seem likely either. Yeah. So it is likely, or yeah. not likely, but possible. It is possible. Agreed. Um, and there's also a, another real threat that's probably the most prominent. And I guess we should probably say here, maybe a little too late, we don't mean to stir up any paranoia among anybody. No. It's just an interesting question, right? Yeah, it is. We meant to stir up paranoia about fluoride, but not this one. Right. Um, is it the, uh, the, probably the most realistic threat would be a dirty bomb, right? Yeah, which is made from what they call nuclear junk, mm-hmm. which is not highly enriched, uh, uranium and plutonium, correct? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, a lesser, Quality. No, I think um, the, it's it's a nuclear bomb lacking a device to properly detonate it. Oh, is that what it is? So you don't have the material needed or the energy needed to create like okay. a supercritical mass. Right. But let's say you blew it up with a bunch of TNT that was less than critical or supercritical, um, you're still spreading radioactivity. Okay. So, I didn't know if you were talking about depleted uranium. Did you hear about the Russian guy that was caught? Who? The guy uh, who uh, poisoned Lukchenko? Or? No, this was in 2002, and this is one of those deals where I couldn't find a lot following up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2002, a Russian man was busted smuggling 27 tons of en- enriched uranium uh, at a Siberian border checkpoint. Holy cow. I did a little follow-up, and they said at first, oh, no, this was just a regular shipment because we send um, 
depleted uranium to uh, to Kazakhstan uh, so it can be made into nuclear fuel to be sent back to Russia. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. And then they came out with a second uh, statement that said, oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't enriched. It was actually uh, depleted uranium, and so it wasn't really a big deal. And I couldn't find anything else after that. Huh. 27 tons, though. That's scary. Well, this proves there's a black market for it. Oh, definitely. You know we're using uh, depleted uranium as uh, tank-piercing bullets or artillery, right? Oh, really? And apparently there's a, a real growing concern among Iraq veterans and Afghanistan veterans that they're around this and handling this this uh, ammunition. Right. They're like, what's going to happen? You know, am I radioactive? Am sure. I going to be able to have kids? So right, right. It's probably going to be the next Agent Orange is depleted, depleted uranium shells. Wow. Yeah. But apparently they go right through a tank. Well, I would imagine so. Yeah. You want to talk about Los Alamos? Sure. Go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> November 2006, Los Alamos National Laboratory. Uh, there was a security breach, and officials were worried that an employee passed information concerning special access controls that would detonate a bomb. So uh, it wasn't a whole device, but important, valuable information secrets were being sold. Yeah, using uh, PALs, right? Yes. Okay, so a PAL I, I checked out there. It can be what, what John Fuller, who wrote this fine article, mentions, is that you know it takes two people to enter a code at the same time. War games. Exactly. Go ahead. <laughs> well, what's that called? It's called... Permissive Action Link? Yes. Oh, okay. And if you remember the very first scene of the movie War Games, uh, a young Michael Madsen was actually one of the security guards. You're going to bark all day, little doggy? <laughs> that was excellent. Thanks. Wow. Uh, yeah, a young Michael Madsen was one of the two uh, uh, security personnel in the silo that was supposed to turn the key at the same time. Uh-huh. So it's a two-man operation. One person cannot set off the bomb. So it's a pretty good measure. That's Well, that's one. That's one type of PAL. There's also um, uh, quantum encryption um, to create all sorts of different um, codes. Any Basically, if, if you can't just press a button, any barrier between you and pressing that button, any step you have to take right. to launch a nuclear weapon is a permissive action link. Okay. So, so when you hear the perm- the fingers on the button, that's really two fingers on two buttons. At, and it at, took at the very a, least. several steps to get to that point. Thankfully. Um, there's another way you can uh, get a bomb, and I realized, Chuck, I never, um, I never finished a sentence earlier. I went off on a tangent about the difference between tactical and strategic. Right. I'm so smart, <laughs> right? Ooh, um, the the uh, what Gates was talking about when he said that he he was accusing Moscow of not knowing where all their stuff was. Um, there's a whole bunch of nuclear mines, nuclear artillery shells, basically nuclear junk. Right. Um, that he suspects Moscow has no idea where it is. Sure. That's the stuff that would likeliest make its way into a dirty bomb, right? which is why it's a bigger threat. I could see that for sure. I'm glad I got that off my chest. Uh, you know, one official, uh, we were talking about Pakistan earlier, one U.S. official said that if they can smuggle out the amount of heroin that they smuggle out, then they could smuggle out nuclear materials. Sure. Pretty much. Although I suspect that um, there is a tacit approval of heroin smuggling in uh, Afghanistan, oh, as think? far as the U.S. goes. Yeah, I've read articles on it. U.S. generals are just like, we're not even paying attention to that. That has nothing to do with what we're here for. Right, I could see the that. The DEA's over there, like, pulling out their hair. Right. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Sure. Well, one thing I was going to mention, too, is if this weren't a concern, a legitimate concern, then there probably wouldn't be a, an official name for this. 
Yeah. By the U.S. The Navy, right? Yeah. The Navy um, calls it a broken arrow, which is from the John Woo. Well, not from the John Woo movie. <laughs> John Woo, I think, got it from the Navy. Gotcha. But that is the name for the seizure, theft, loss, or loss of a nuclear weapon or component. Mm-hmm. So component is kind of the key component. Yeah. Or sense. if you steal the whole thing, if sure. Jamaica stole one. Right. Or bought one, that would be bad. Right. I, st- I love your idea here. I, I want to see this like Jamaican guy on a flatbed with a nuclear bomb on the back of it. So, Chuck, there's another way you could get a uh, a nuclear weapon if you wanted to. Let's hear it. You could travel to uh, Tybee Island, Georgia. Yeah. There is a 51-year-old nuclear bomb, thermonuclear weapon, somewhere off the coast of Tybee, and not too far off of it. They took in right off of the coast. They yeah. have no idea where it is. Yeah, so close that they can't find it. Yeah. Distressing. You know what else is distressing? (laughs) What? The Department of Defense recognizes that at least one serious nuclear accident has occurred every single year since the atomic age began. Yeah. Distressing. I don't know what's more unsettling, that one's happened every year they qualified it with at least. Right. (laughs) You know? Sure. One or more. Yeah. Should we talk about some of these accidents? Yeah, totally. Purported accidents? Yeah, there's been a bunch of them. There have. Uh, this one's good. Um, in 1958, a B-47 bomber flying over Mars Bluff, South Carolina, accidentally dropped an atomic bomb, which left a crater 75 feet wide and 35 feet deep. And we've talked about that one. That was the one that um, they abandoned searching for that nuke in, in <laughs> off the coast of Savannah to go deal with. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they were looking for this nuke for about a month, couldn't find it, and then <laughs> one goes off, or the, the TNT went off. Right, bigger problem. Yeah, and they all evacuated over to South Carolina. Yeah, that's a good one. You want, you got another one for me? Yeah, this one is kind of unsettling. Uh, in 1965, some guys were uh, basically, I, I guess, docking an airplane that had nuclear weapons aboard on the USS Ticonderoga, I guess they hit a wave, and the airplane and its nukes rolled off into the, the uh, Sea of Japan. Transport, dude. 16,000 feet of problem. ocean, luckily. It seems like all the accidents and, and security threats deal with transport. Yeah. Or what about the transfer uh, from a submarine onto the USS Holland in 1981? Yeah, go ahead. Well, that's pretty much it, except for <laughs> while they were while they were moving the nuke from the submarine to the USS Holland... Uh, it started to fall 17 feet, and somebody very quickly pulled an emergency brake, and it stopped right above the deck. That was close. A handbrake. Yes. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Did the guy literally, like, yank it up? Yeah. And I'll bet he was treated to around that night. Yeah, I bet more than one. Uh, you know, there's a U.N. agency that uh, is entrusted with preempting this kind of thing, illegal proliferation. Mm-hmm. And they said in 2007, they said that... Uh, the theft and loss of nuclear and radioactive materials remains a persistent problem. Is that the IAEA? Yeah. Yeah. So there, everyone is on record basically saying this This happens all the time. There are hundreds of cases in uh, Russia of people stealing or trying to steal this stuff. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. 
Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. What was it Jay Philip Oppenheimer said <laughs> when he saw the first nuclear bomb explode? Uh, I am become death. Uh, Destroyer of worlds. Destroyer of worlds. Talk about Pandora's box, man. No kidding. Uh, I've got some more stats if you're interested. <laughs> or do we need to wrap this puppy up? No, no, that's okay. Uh, there were 150 incidents of uh, such such action of, of loss or theft in 2006 alone. Josh, the majority of these involve sealed radioactive sources, and in 73% of these cases, the lost or stolen materials have not been recovered. That's fantastic. So basically, what you're finding, what you're saying here, is that there is a lot of unaccounted for nuclear material on the world market. Right. Well, there's no international treaty for this, I found out. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there there, are... there are treaties. There's the the Physical Protection of Nuclear Material Treaty of 1980, but it's all uh, for domestic use, storage, and transport. There's no international uh, work going on here. Well, the problem is in the post 9/11 world as well, Chuck. I mean, we're not fighting people who honor treaties. Like we're still looking True. at nuclear um, nuclear nonproliferation right. through the paradigm of the Cold War, which is long over. You know, it yeah. used to be we had, like I said earlier, mutual assured destruction where. The, the USSR and the U.S. Mm-hmm. had so many nukes that they could wipe out the world within seconds of one another launching. Yep. And it it kept anybody from doing anything. How and about I, a nice no, game of tic-tac-toe? Exactly. There's no th- – that that doesn't exist anymore. There's no polarization. And we right. have to rethink this, especially if there's no accountability or not enough accountability. Yeah. It's almost less safe now than during the arms race. Yeah. And how do you get something uh, how do you take something out of existence when it when, when it's already been created? I don't know. Can it happen? I I it would take I don't think it can happen. I think it could happen, but you'd have to be really dedicated. Right. And you would also have to be pretty cold-blooded because guys like A.Q. Khan would have to get shot in the back of the head. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and not just A.Q. Khan, but all of our guys, too. Yeah. So all basically anybody who knows how to make a nuclear bomb would have to be executed. Right. Wow. So thanks for joining us. If you <laughs> want to know more about nuclear anything, we got a bunch of it on the site. That's HowStuffWorks.com. We have a handy search bar for your convenience so you don't have to troll from channel to channel, page by page. Uh, and since I said that, and Jerry's eyes are crossed because she's so bored, I think that means it's time for listener mail. Josh, I'm just going to call this an eerie Pennsylvania email. Get, get it? Yeah, I do. Uh, this is from Sarah. She's a student there at uh, Collegiate High School, I guess. Collegiate Academy. 
uh, in your stupid Are Stupid People Happier podcast, you talked a lot about the subjectiveness of happiness, as well as all the references you made to your super stuff guide to the economy. Now on sale in iTunes. <laughs> it reminded me of a project my AP macroeconomics class conducted at the end of last year. Uh, most nations measure their economic success in increments of GDP and the like. But the nation of Bhutan created a similar scale called Gross National Happiness. I've written on that. Really? Yeah. Okay. I believe you. Uh, basically, it's an extensive survey that they did. And she and her classmates decided to, uh, for a project, to do the same thing at her high school, to find out what the happiness scale was at a collegiate academy. So she wrote in and told me this, and I was like, that's cool. And I was like, but you didn't tell me any of the results or anything, so how about it? So she emailed me back and said, all right, here we go. Uh, Twelve statements in four categories is what they were uh, rating, as well as male and female and grade level to define the gross collegiate happiness scale. Uh, each was rated on a scale of one, zero to five, uh, with one being the least agreeable to our statement, I guess zero. Uh, I predicted that we would have achieved an overall happiness index of about two five, but surprisingly we scored significantly higher, and our happiness scale was a 3.58 out of five, which is pretty good. Uh, on an economic scale and including outliers is pretty great, she says. The most agreeable statement and positive quality that made students feel happy was a statement, I feel accepted at Collegiate Academy, which received an average of 4.29. And the principal was satisfied with it, although you could tell she wanted a perfect 5.0. She obviously hasn't studied economics or statistics recently. So that was from Sarah in Erie, Pennsylvania. That is why Sarah is headed to Yale this fall. Yeah, Sarah's a very bright student. Uh And it sounds like her classmates are pretty happy there at Collegiate Academy. Yeah. So good for them. Yeah. The gross national happiness is pretty cool. Yeah. Bhutan's very serious about it. The um, king abdicated his throne to establish a democracy because it was they, they determined that democracy made for happier people. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Sarah. Well, if you're Yale bound like Sarah or don't know where you're headed yet... You can send us an email. Like us. Detailing uh, anything you like. Do we have anything we want to ask for, Chuck? Uh, no, we've been getting good feedback lately. Thanks thanks for that. Keep it so up. Uh, if you want to just send us an email, I guess is what we're trying to say, right? Yes. You can send that to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Hey, if you're a fan of Altoids, the curiously strong mints, you probably have a lot of empty tins laying around. You can do some pretty cool stuff with them. You can make survival kits, flash drives, even robots. Check out Altoids on Facebook to find out more. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. 
No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. 